Today on episode 33, I'm talking to one of the editors of Ozark, Vikash Vix Patel is here to give us the lowdown on the editing of the hit Netflix series. Welcome to the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. My name is Joaquin Elizondo and I edit films and scripted TV shows in Hollywood. I created the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program to help aspiring editors start or advance their careers in post-production. I don't have any training in coaching or some fancy degree in psychology. I'm just a guy who is relentless in pursuing his goals and wants to help people do the same. But I didn't achieve happiness and success in my career alone. Throughout the years, I've come across some amazing people that have offered valuable advice and guidance. That's why I created the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program, to help people navigate the path to achieving their career goals. I've been in your shoes and gone through the same struggles. The challenges and fears on this journey are real. And I want to tell you, it is possible. Well, it's over. Ozark has come to an end. And of course, now I gotta find a new show to watch. But in the meantime, I'm gonna be talking to one of its editors, Vikash Vix Patel is here to tell us how the series was shaped in the cutting room. And you know, Vix worked on the show since the beginning, since season one. So we're going to be hearing all about his experience cutting this critically acclaimed series. Vix is an award-winning editor, having won an Emmy for his work on the reality competition series Top Chef, and was also nominated for an Emmy for his work on the episode Fire Pink from season three of Ozark. His other notable credits include The Morning Show, Five Days at Memorial, Outcast, Bates Motel, Terminator, Sarah Connor Chronicles, and The Story of Luke. So Vix has a lot of knowledge and advice to share with the Hollywood editing mentor community. Some of the topics Vix and I will be discussing today include understanding that editing can be a viable and rewarding career, the type of assistance that Vix likes to hire, what it takes to have a successful career in the film industry, his quick transition from unscripted to scripted editing, the importance of finding an editor to mentor you, why there isn't a rush to get to the editing chair, and how to build a solid relationship with a showrunner. I do want to say, though, that there will be a lot of spoilers in this episode, so if you have not watched Ozark or you just simply haven't finished watching it, you might want to hit pause right now. This is your official spoiler warning. Also want to say thank you to those members of the Hollywood Editing Mentor community that submitted questions for Vix. And if you would like to submit a question for a future guest of the Hollywood Editing Mentor podcast, all you have to do is join the Hollywood Editing Mentor community. And you can do so at hollywoodeditingmentor.com slash community. We are talking all things Ozark here with one of the editors, Vix Patel here on the Hollywood Editing Mentor podcast. It's great to meet you, Vix. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And it's, uh, it's great to be here. Well, yeah, man, I, I'm excited about uh, to talk to you today about Ozark. I mean, I, I finished it a couple of weeks ago. Been watching it from the beginning. And congratulations. Obviously, some amazing work there. And so we want to get uh, to talking to you about your experience. How does it feel now? It's done. <laughs> feels you know it's like some it's, it's interesting you asked that question and somebody asked me that uh, literally either yesterday or the day before and you know it feels it feels good i say it's bittersweet right i mean i've been you know been part of the show since day one uh you know part of the fabric of the entire series from you know day one and edited 20 episodes out of the 44 and um it's bittersweet, you know, uh, you know, like, uh, oh, that's, that's who I was talking to. I was actually talking to Chris Mundy, the showrunner. And I said, 
you know, it feels great that we finally finished it, but it also feels like sad because it's like it was such a great family of filmmakers and people attached, and you build these relationships with, with you know, your family. Essentially, it's your work family. You know, five years, four seasons, um, a lot of uh, love, uh, sweat, tears, blood, all of it, all poured into one. You know, so um, yeah, bittersweet, bittersweet. That's a that's probably the best best way to. Um, you know, explain it. I, I, all, all good things have to come to an end at some point, you know. Absolutely, man. And well, again, uh, you know, it was a great run. Obviously, a great series, and we will definitely get into it later on in this podcast. Uh, I want to start off knowing more about you. It's the first time I meet you, and and uh, although I've been following obviously your work, heard your name a lot, and uh, I want to get to know you. Give us uh, some kind of insight into you, your background. I mean, how did you? Get interested in editing. I mean, I, I read your website, your, your your about page, and said that I read that your parents wanted you to be a cricket player. <laughs> That's right. No, I don't know if many people in America know what cricket is, but you know, in a nutshell, I think uh, growing up uh, as a as a kid in England to immigrant parents from India, you know, the hopes and desire uh, typical of immigrant uh, uh, parents um, is, uh, especially in the Indian community, is like. Oh, you're going to be a a doctor, a lawyer, or a pilot, you know. And obviously, I had no desire to to be either of those or any of those. Um, but um, I love sports and I love the arts, and I was um, relatively good at cricket. Um, played it since I was a kid, and um, you know, pursued that. Um, and was optimistic that I was going to be become a professional cricket player, and. Um, that didn't happen um, around the age of 17, 18. And that didn't, you know, that didn't happen. And, you know, um, I also love the arts. I loved, um, you know, film, photography, painting, drawing, all the rest of it. So I pursued that. And that's, you know, I went to um, undergrad to do film, uh, um, specifically animation, actually. And from there, it was, I discovered, um, Editing, really. That's when I really discovered editing because um, there was uh, two Avid systems sat at university. Nobody knew how to use them. And I took it upon myself with the manual. And in six weeks, I taught myself how to use uh, Avid back then. Um, and, you know, uh, I guess from there, I was very fortunate um, in my second year at university uh, back in England to get an internship, which was a two-week internship, wasn't paid. But after day one on being at the internship, the the owner of the company said, hey, do you just want to come back the next day and we'll pay you as an editor? And um, basically my career took off from there. You know, I continued working with them on and off, finished university, then worked there full-time for about a year and a half, one and a half years, mainly editing documentaries, commercials, music videos um, uh, up in the northeast of England. And um, then I met this British film editor called, uh, named David Freeman. He edited the, the movie The Full Monty and Mickey Blue Eyes, etc. And, you know, he kind of took me under his wing um, and he said he was going to edit this low-budget movie and he said if I wanted to be part of it. So I went and uh, assisted him for a couple of months. And um, it was from that conversation and that time with David that he suggested that maybe it would be a good idea to go to film school because he was a product of uh, uh, film school as well. He went to the National Film School in England. And um, so the application, I don't believe the application deadline for the National Film School had opened, but um, there was one for the American Film Institute. 
And um, I applied and uh, I was selected. I was one of, is it 12 or 14 to be selected to come to AFI? And um, I guess the rest is history, right? Here I am. And, uh, you know, my career kind of, uh, you know, after after leaving film school here and after grad school here, you know, my career kind of took off. So um, thankful for it all, kind of how it all came together. But in a weird way, it was, um, you know, I continued in a long, in a nutshell, I continued uh, something that I loved, which was the arts. And I loved, obviously, sports, and I still do. But um, obviously, um, you know, the arts won. I mean, I guess going back to when you discovered that you enjoyed editing, did you understand that you could actually have an editing career? I guess me going to university back in England, I guess I didn't really understand that I could have a career um, doing this initially, right? So I, I obviously knew about it, and I, I kind of nurtured that at university. I'm like, you know, I enjoy this. I enjoy being making movies. I enjoy making TV shows. I enjoy playing with images. But who knew that this could be such a rewarding career, very fulfilling, you know? Of, as you know, it can also be extremely stressful and um, challenging. But um, yeah, like I, and, and I think a lot of it is luck. You know, I feel you ha you have to work really hard, but you also need a lot of luck to 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 have this as your career um, because it's very fickle. Um, you know, it's also very cutthroat, uh, as we know. But I think if you put your time and effort in. You could have a career in the film industry, whether you want to be an editor, whether you want to be a cinematographer, whether you want to be a director, a writer, et cetera. They all have their challenges. I truly believe they all have their challenges. And I think one has to put in their time. Um, and sometimes that means you have to start right at the bottom. And sometimes you get a lucky break and, you know, you don't really need you kind of just slot in. You know, like I was I would say I was pretty fortunate and lucky. I was supposed to do a two-week internship in England, and after day one, because I knew how to use the system technically, um, and I showed what I, I, I cut a music video for the owner uh, on day one of my internship, and he just turned around and he goes, you know, as I said, do you want to come back and edit? So there was a little bit of luck there, you know, I, and also personality and all the rest of it goes in, uh, into play as well. But I think there, there can be a really good career in the film industry. I just think, um, you, you know, I think any of the listeners that are listening, I think you have to nurture that and you have to, you have to find the pocket of, or, uh, you have to find what you really want out of the film industry as well. You know, like if you want to be an, uh, an editor, you really, I feel like you have to wholeheartedly go into that because I'm a firm believer of, you know, you can't be a jack of all trades. I think you have to like really, really hone in on, some specifics you can try those and i think film school uh or, or even grad school is a, is a great way to learn that but once you really start your career i think you have to commit for a little while in one of the fields to really give it your best shot oh yeah no i totally agree i mean i i think it's i think it's important yeah early on in your career maybe stay out of school coming out of school if you go to say film school or any other type of education uh, it's a, definitely an experiment you got to see what you you like right what you connect with unless of course like some people already know that they want to be editors from from the get-go, right? Uh, but it's good to experiment. But in the end, though, eventually do have more defined goals and saying pick a path and specialize maybe in one thing as opposed to maybe, like you said, you know, being a jack-of-all-trades. And I'm telling you from experience because I was certainly that person for many years until I said, you know what, no, I want to be an editor. 
That's right. I think I think it's I think there's a lot of value in exploring, you know. And I and and look, everybody's careers uh, kind of lift off at different parts of their life or at different ages, right? There's no set time like oh, by 23 you need to be editing. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But I feel like I think you do have to do the exploring, and then you have to figure out okay, this is what I love. Whether you want to be an editor or you maybe some 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 folks just want to be assistant editors. But once you and and even those folks who want to be assistant editors, maybe they want to just do, you know, features or they want to do TV. But once you figure that out, then then let's commit. Let's do that and run with it for a while. Because then it then it also shows that you are fully committed to that. And you uh in many ways, you're a master of that discipline or that craft for a little while. So um I I don't know. I, I'm a firm believer of that. I feel like um you know, it's. Um, I think there's a lot of value in exploring, though, too. You mentioned there about being uh, very good technically early on, and you got a lot of opportunities because of that. Uh, now, I guess, you know, being in your position, having been working now in this industry for a while, and maybe now obviously being in a position where you hire assistants, what would you say, uh, uh, would you put value in on, say, versus, for example, the hard skills, technical skills, say, being knowledgeable with, with say, Avid, Versus like the soft skills, like say communication, relationship building. Is there one thing that's more important than the other for you? So yes, absolutely. That's, that's, that's a really great question. I think initially when I first started out, as I expressed, I spent six weeks learning how to use the Avid, right? So at that time, I was very technically proficient and I understood the machine and just how to navigate it, work it. If you ask me that question now, I am terrible. I am technically, <laughs> I am truly technically incompetent. It's it's kind of crazy. Any any little thing happens, I'm like, I have to like call my assistant or like, wait, I don't know what I did, what happened. So, you know, I think, I think it's really interesting because as an editor, you are a storyteller. It's all about the arts, but you there is a technical component to it. And as as your career develops, I think you have to forget some of that technical stuff personally. Because I don't, I, I, I just, I, I, you know, my assistants, whoever I've, who's working with me, they're usually pretty good at that. So they can problem solve all that. I have no idea. I truly have no idea how to, I know how to work the machine. I know how to tell the story. I know how to have fun with it, et cetera. But, you know, uh, I've forgotten all of those things. I, I, I have my settings from 20 years ago. That's the same. I use the same <laughs> settings from 20 years ago. So, um, but no, I, uh, so when I'm interviewing my, uh, for a job as a, for, for an assistant, I love assistants that want to be editors. I don't, I, I, I typically always want to hire an assistant that wants to be an editor, somebody I can mentor, um, somebody I can nurture that th those are, that's extremely valuable to me. Um, extremely, sorry, important to me. Um, I look for assistants who are very strong, say, with doing sound sound work and visual effects. You know, I'm very, um, I'm sound heavy in my uh, my approach to how my episodes or my scenes uh, uh, are received. So when I build an episode of Ozark, it is fully loaded with, I, I expect it to be fully loaded with a lot of sound work. You know, essentially in many ways, I want, I want, the director and producer to watch it and hit play. And when I hit play, like, oh, this is how this is how it's going to be received and how we're going to see it. So, yeah, you know, and it's a team effort. That you know, I'm doing all the picture stuff, I'm doing all the music, but I I I want my assistants to take immense pride in doing all the rest of it, which is 
the role of doing all the sound design and sound effect work. I want them to take pride in that because we are a team and what what we present, uh, you know, when it's fully baked in, it's just received so much better. Well, I just find this really funny because, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm in that position now. I mean, I got bumped up two years ago and I feel like I'm, lo I'm slowly losing those assistant, you know, technical skills. Yeah. It happens. Exactly. It's, and it's good, though. I really, I think, I don't know. I, I think it's good to forget that. I think you should, you know, I think as an editor, it's all creative. It's all story, you know, because you know somebody could help with the technical aspects of that. So I don't think, uh, as somebody who's telling a story, I don't think your brain should be bogged down with that. Look, it's a great, it's, it's wonderful if you, if you do love that. It's awesome. But I just know personally, that's not something I, spend too much time uh um you know holding on to i i prefer just using my brain constantly just to see how i can make this this show or this scene more dramatic or emotional well you know and i'm just constantly just in a creative headspace so that's what i prefer but each to their own each to their own you know you did some work in unscripted you won an emmy for top chef i have a question here from a, a community member uh michael swingler He says, looking at IMDb, I noticed he made the move from unscripted to scripted with not much AE work. Would love to know how he made that transition so quickly. Yeah, no, that was, that was, a, that was again, a little bit of luck, you know. I, so it was, I finished grad school, um, AFI in 2004, and, you know, you, you are burdened with so much debt because of going to grad school, et cetera. So you just, and also being a, a foreigner here, being on a visa for only one year to be allowed to work here, I I, I kind of went back to my roots. I Back in England, I was cutting documentaries. Um, and that's what I was, um, that's my main experience. So I reached out to a bunch of British companies out here um, and, um, and, and I got some great feedback from them. And I, I was able to land a job straight out of grad school, um, basically cutting, Firstly, a, a smaller documentary, and then I met this exec producer, uh, Shauna Minoprio, who was running this British company. And she said, yeah, come and work on this reality show for us. Um, and I don't know if they called it reality back then, but it basically was a reality show. So I did a season of that, and she turned around. And she goes, look, I'm going to go start this new cooking series. Do you want to be part of it and come and work on it? I'm like, great. You know, because... As I said, like you just have so much debt, and I was like, okay, yeah, like I'll go do that. And um, so I spent, um, I, I went and worked on Top Chef season one, and I did the first three seasons of that for them. And you know, hey, look, it, uh, it was nominated for an Emmy, and I won an Emmy for my episode of that, which was, you know, I shared that me and uh, another editor, Kevin Leftwell, we did that episode, and it was the pilot episode of season three, and um, you know, it was fantastic. So. From there, I was, I felt I had in my fill of that reality TV world and it wasn't what I wanted to do for sure. I was very grateful and thankful because again, it's still, you're still telling a story. It's just, you know, you're limited by the material that you're presented with. Um, but I knew I wanted to really be doing narrative. Um, and um, I had reached out to a few friends and one of my friends had reached out saying, hey, there's a new show um called sarah connor terminated sarah connor chronicles and the editor scott gamson is um looking for um assistance i you know haven't really assisted as you know i spent two months with david freeman back in england assisting him 
so it was kind of a, I was a little nervous because I was like, okay, well, I'll go meet with him, but I don't really, I don't know, like I've not done it, like I've not actually done that job um, at a at a studio level. So I met with Scott, great, great guy. He, we both have mutual friends from the reality world because he he kind of pivots between reality and scripted as well, and um, he took a chance. He took a chance on me and. You know, we spent three months, et cetera, I think, working together. And I was extremely grateful for the two of her assistants on that project at that time, uh, Tony Rivard and Liza Cardinelli. And Liza is a prolific editor now as well, um, who took me under their wings and really kind of, you know, taught me the ropes. So it was a, it was a steep learning curve for two, two weeks, basically. But I got it. Scott trusted me fantastic experience but the writer strike happened uh so i was on the show for i think pretty much like three to three and a half months and the writer strike happened so everything disappeared again and then it came back for another season uh sarah connor came back for another season and the producers reached out and said hey do you want to come back so i elected to go back but the other two assistants decided not to so i then became the kind of the original is like the number one assistant, you know, because I was part of from season one. And when we started, one of the editors within two weeks decided that she was going to leave. She was new to the show. She was going to leave. And I just held my hand up and I said to the producers, let me give me a shot. Let me edit that episode. It was still in dailies. Let me finish edit that episode. Let me finish it. Um, and the studio and the producers took a chance and it was their favorite episode and the rest is history. Never assisted ever since then. Oh, wow. <laughs> so super, super short. I didn't assist. I, I, you know, I think grand scheme of things in my entire career, I think I've assisted for five and a half months total. If someone wants to say transition, for example, from unscripted to scripted, is it necessary then to assist would you say or or what advice would you give to someone that's trying to do that transition i do i think it's extremely valuable to understand how a cutting room works i think it's really you know and but it's it's also a little daunting if you've been say for example let's say you've been editing reality tv for five years ten years but you really really want to get into deep cutting narrative to take that pay cut to take that chance to be an assistant um You know, you have to, I was, I was taking that chance. And in my mind, I was willing to do this for, I gave myself three years. I'll be an assistant for three years, you know, um, and then optimistic that I'll get, uh, I would be bumped up because all I've done is edited, right? So, but it happened a lot faster for me. So, but I think, I think, and I think you have, I think the editor, if you're going to switch and transition, I think you have to be realistic that you have to understand that you will potentially have to be an assistant for a few years. It could be one year, it could be two years, it could be five years. But I think it's it's all there's a lot of value in assisting because if you find an editor, you know, that will mentor you, you're gonna learn so much about the narrative world. You you want that editor, he or she to invite you into the room, to give you scenes to cut, to be, you know, to to understand some of the tricks of the trade, to understand how to build a scene, strong point of view, or, you know, all the stuff that we constantly just have in the back of our mind, which I'm kind of talking right now, which there's probably a billion other things, you know, tone, et cetera. You know, those are just like, the, the, it's like muscle memory now, but I feel like you want, 
you know, you need somebody to mentor you and guide you through that. Um, and I think you should just be a sponge and absorb as much as, uh, as possible when you make that transition. And you have to be willing to make that transition because it is, it, it, it could be a significant, uh, you know, a decrease in pay, basically. Um, and, you know, if you've got a family, if you set your career up or all the, all your life, et cetera, it's up to that person if they're willing to take that risk and that gamble, you know? Um, and sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes, you know, sometimes a scripted producer, uh, sorry, sometimes uh, a reality uh, producer or a company ventures into doing uh, their first scripted series and they bring you on, you know? And I know I know a few um, editors who have made that transition, but most of them, I, I will typically say most of them will have to be an assistant. And I think there's... Um, I think it's. I, I think that's good though. I think it's good to understand how a room works and start at the not not the rock bottom, but understand how uh, an editor works and kind of how to be mentored. I think that's. Uh, I think that's extremely um, you know um, useful. Oh yeah, no. I mean, I totally agree with you. Obviously, one of the reasons why I created you know this platform, the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program. Uh, but I remember even you know when I was trying to make that transition from unscripted to scripted. I mean, I had been editing for many, many years. And someone asked me, I remember, a good friend of mine asked me, hey, would you think right now if you were to be getting a, a, given a job seeing scripted or, or a film, you think you could do it? And I said, you know what? I, I would prefer to take some time as an assistant and to learn the ropes, to learn the cutting room, to learn the lingo even, right? Um, before I jump into the edit chair, say in, in scripted or, or TV or film. And I'm glad I did so. I'm glad I went that way because I learned a lot, and I had some great mentors. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I when I when I work with my assistant, or if I if I if I meet somebody who wants to be an assistant, I think that I always encourage them to really find an editor that they love, right? Love to work with, love being around, love their work, etc. Because, and also try to understand from that person, are they going to mentor them? Because it's such like. It's so, it's key. It's key to it all. If you've got an editor who's going to take you under their wing and mentor you, I think you will, you could have a very successful career because you don't want to get into the chair as an editor and then, and then fail, right? Because it's, uh, you know, it's either, it's like sink or swim. I mean, like once you get that opportunity, you really have to shine. And if you don't shine, oh yeah, it's really hard, you know? So like, I can understand as an assistant, you're really eager because you want to be an editor, but guess what? Just wait an additional six months, wait a year as you just articulated, because once you get that opportunity and you nail it, you're off and it's great. You know, you're off. But if you, if you peak too early, you may not get that chance because if you fail, you fail. And it's, you know, and it's, and it's, 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 and maybe fail is not the right word because it is so subjective. It's a creative art form, right? You, you know, your, your, your take on how you're going to cut a scene and how I'm going to cut a scene, they're going to be different, but the story still has to be told, right? There's still a story that has to be told. That story, if you've got five shots, we're going to say, we're going to use different material and tell the same story, but in a different, um, using the five shots in a different way. Um, there's no right or wrong answer, really, you know? But the producers may look at it and be, or the directors may look at it. No, no, no. I had this idea and this is how I want to do it, you know, et cetera. So it's, it's reading the room. It's reading the show. It's reading the tone, the style. And Ozak has a lot of that, um, you know, and it's understanding sensibilities, taste, aesthetic, and, uh, and, 
and being able to absorb that. And that only comes with experience and time working on multiple genres because, you know, I, I, as you know, I've edited multiple different genres and different prestigious shows. And I would not cut, I would not cut, say, for example, the morning show, the way I cut Ozark. They're just two completely different uh, projects, um, stylistically, aesthetically, tone, et cetera, um, genre, et cetera. So I think you have to just, uh, you figure that out and you let the material speak to you as well on top of that. Speaking of Ozark, let's jump into it. Uh, again, congrats. Thank you. The show is over, has concluded. Congrats on, on, on just, uh, just great work, obviously, since the beginning. Uh, you were there since season one, have cut the most episodes uh, on that show. Uh, let's just go back to the beginning. I mean, how did you get involved with Ozark? So, I, I, Ozark was brought to me by a wonderful post-producer, Juanita Feeney. Juanita and I worked together a few years earlier uh, on a project um, uh, called The Divide. Um, that was exec produced and directed by Tony Goldwyn and uh, Richard Lagaronesi. Um, and, you know, Juanita and I hit it off and um, she, you know, she sent up a flare saying, hey, I'm going to go do this new project. Uh, are you interested? And I read it and fell in love with it and um, met with Chris. And um, yeah, that's how it happened. You know, this was, I would probably say, I don't know when, I was like 2016, I think. Um, you know, and um, yeah, uh, it was uh, it was all it was all mainly initial thanks to Juanita, you know, and uh, my connection to Juanita was made by my agent actually. That's um, Brady Torgerson, and that's how I was introduced to Juanita for the divide. So um, yeah, thanks to both those two people. Initially, though, when this project was brought to you, I mean. Did you know it was going to be so big? We didn't. What were your initial, what were your initial thoughts about it? It's, it's really interesting you ask that question. So season one, when we were making it, um, you know, uh, the editors were myself, uh, Cindy Mollo, and Adam Wolf. Um, Cindy and I edited four episodes each that first season, and Adam, Adam Wolf edited two. Um, when we were making it, it we, we knew it was fun, and we knew it was good. We just didn't, we just didn't, I guess nobody would know, you know, or could say that, oh, it was going to be this like cult classic, you know, and have a following like the likes of Breaking Bad and Sopranos, you know, not, and I'm hand on my heart, not once through that first season, I think I was on it for about 11 months, 12 months, almost not once was Breaking Bad Sopranos ever mentioned. I've not even seen Breaking Bad. I've always seen, I've, hand on my heart i've seen i think the first three episodes of breaking bad and you know with two kids it's not that i don't want to i've just not had time to watch it you know and there's it's just no there's so much content but i will watch it one day because it 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 does seem like it's fantastic but so during that first season it would those shows were never ever mentioned so when the praise came out you know some positive some negative but comparisons came out regarding breaking bad uh, and sopranos are like really like we're in we're, 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 we're closely like, you know, being referenced to that. And I was like, wait, I guess we'll take it. You know, it was kind of uh, great to be in that, in that company. Um, and then it just became its own thing. I truly believe that I feel like the last three episodes of season one is that's where the show really kicked off. Episodes eight, nine, and 10. You, that's when Ozark hit the ground running. And then after that, it was, uh, you know, we're, we're off to the races from there, you know. How did you, Evolve, say, as an editor from season one to season four, and, and also that your approach to editing, I guess, changed as well. 
throughout those years? My approach to editing has not changed. I will say that. I don't think I don't think I look at I don't think I look at episode anything I did in season one, you know, and be like, oh, I should not do that. I mean, I you know, I, I just feel like I still do my thing. I understand like I did episodes nine and ten in season one. I did three and four, nine and ten, nine and ten directed by Jason. And I think episode 10 of season one is still one of my top three favorites, per, my personal favorites. And I would probably say Jason would probably say, yeah, episode 10 is probably one of his favorites as well. It's just everything's just cooking so well. And that aesthetic, I kind of hold on to that. And I think I, you know, that sensibility has kind of been, you know, put that wash over all of the episodes that I've done moving forward, you know, because I really spending time working with him. I feel like I really, really got to understand exactly what he's looking for as a director. And since he's the exec producer as well with Chris, you know, but he set the template by doing one and two of season one as well and really having his finger in the entire pie of season one and subsequently as well. But I feel like once you hone into what he's looking for and his his taste level and his aesthetic, it's it's easy to kind of seek out what the, the, uh, the other episodes how they should be aligned. So it's then when you're not working with him as a director, it's encouraging and guiding the new directors that come to the series. Be like, you know, this is kind of where we're at. This is what we we do here on Ozark. Love what you're bringing to the table. Is there a, is there a happy ground here, um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and it's more about guiding new directors then. But my approach, I don't, I, I, I truthfully, I don't, I don't look at it and I don't approach it any differently than I've done in season one. You were nominated for an Emmy for your work on episode 309, Fire Pink. Yeah, I love that episode. That's one of my favorite. That, again, that with episode 10 and that, you know, those two are uh, per- just personal, personal favorites of mine. Well, I have a question here from another community member, Christopher Kobe. He says, I thought the opening of Ozark episode 309 was fantastic. Ben's monologue and the car being interwoven with jump cuts and VO really got me into Ben's mental state. How did you approach cutting that scene? And he says, wow. That's exactly, well, I'm glad he picked up on it because, you know, he said, I really wanted the viewer to be in Ben's mental state. A guy who has mental health issues, who, you know, this monologue is something that he's just got all, all these thoughts kind of floating in his mind without the linkage. My, my goal was to be like, try to have the viewer feel that that was my goal so that's why i elected to when i put the scene together was to be you know he's talking but you don't see him talk you just kind of like watching him you know almost like staring out the window and you're emotionally seeing him cry but he's talking about something and it's just like it's it's kind of like disorientating in in some way as well you know and um that monologue i believe there was probably four or five takes and each take was around 11 to 12 minutes long. The final version of that, I think that scene is around five minutes, but my initial impression of that was exactly how it was put together. I put it together that way, you know, and, and the director really liked it and Chris and Jason really liked it and we ran with it. And, um, you know, I think it got shortened a little bit. Um, and I think taking out the linkage for him was really great as well because at the end he goes, I think he, uh, forgive me, I'm, I'm not remembering exactly, but he says, he, he, he checks himself right at the end. He goes, oh, my day's been go- going great. How's your day? You know, after this 
crazy monologue for four and a half minutes or whatever, you know. So, but again, a fantastic, fantastic actor who brought so much to the entire series that season, but specifically to that scene, you know. Um, and it just it was a is a way to get into his headspace. Um, but I loved that. I loved actually editing that scene. I loved that episode. Just so emotionally raw, you know, that episode. Well, if we're picking out scenes, I want to bring up uh, a scene from uh, episode seven from season four when uh, Ruth Langmore, uh, after she finds out that her cousin was killed, it goes over to the bird's house. That performance from from uh, Julia Gardner, I mean, one of the, I, I don't know, one of the most impactful performances that I've seen in a while. I mean, it was, I got to say, it's terrifying. She was like possessed. I mean, she just transformed into another person. Can you talk about putting that scene together and watching those dailies? Oh, <laughs> So amazing. That's so that's the episode that I've, you know, uh, submitted for this year's awards. And it's again, it's one of my it's like as, as I said, I've got three favorite episodes, I feel, and that's this is it, right? So episode 10 of season one, Fire Pink and Sanctified, episode seven. You know, that episode is special because there's a lot of there's a lot of groundwork that has been built prior to that. And we know as a viewer, we know how um her relationship with Wyatt is. We just know that that's her person. This is the only family she has left. And for the explosion to happen, for her to come and discover that Wyatt is dead. I mean, if you think about it, really, the moment she discovered that Wyatt is dead, she's kind of dead, really, too. Like, her, she's she's just a body after that for the, for the remaining seven episodes. She's just, her whole life is over. Like, it's, you know, I mean... Because the person she loves and cares about is gone. And so, in theory, really, she's kind of gone too. Um, but yeah, that emotional charge when she came in to the bird's house, she was, she was hot. She was hot. You know, and I will say, truthfully, I feel like, you know, there were multiple takes. It had to be measured. It had to be tempered. Because you just can't have somebody come in um, for the entire scene um, and um, be so explosive. So it was... It was building to that moment of the end of that scene where she where she just screamed. She goes, I, I think she said something, if you're going to have to stop me, you're going to have to kill me or whatever. She, she screams that out. So, every, you know, you build it backwards a little bit in many ways, you know. Um, but it's, it's everything around that. And then you have, once she explodes, then it's just, then it's, then you suck back into her and it's calm as she drives away and she just screams in silence, um, which was a fantastic idea by Jason, actually, just to take out all that sound and have that have that happen. But yeah, it was challenging, um, that scene specifically, because twofold, the birds don't know what's happened. So they're, they're, they're playing catch up. Right. She comes in screaming. I'm like, you know, why it's dead, why it's dead. And like they're they're shocked by it. They're like, wait, how can that be? Who did it? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And she know, you know, she's she, she doesn't know who at that moment initially, she doesn't know uh, who's killed Wyatt. And then she discovers that because Jonah gives up uh gives up the intel there, you know. But it's uh it's yeah, it was more initially modulating that performance so you don't start out of 10, so you can get to a 10, basically, or whatever number you want to say, you know. But um, all, all, all little things that you have to do, you know, and the little subtleties of uh, editing that you have to do with 
uh, Kyle's performances, etc. Yeah, I remember that scream just like sustained. And I was sitting and grabbing like the, the you know, the armrest is gripping. I'm like, oh my God, what is happening? <laughs> I love that scene. You know, I love that scene. I love, I actually love the last 10 minutes of that entire episode. Yeah, yeah. It's got such a great charge to it. And I would hope that the view is just hooked. You know, the moment, the moment, you know, the, the moment basically, Javi starts beating on um, Marty in the house, you know, um, because Navarro has been arrested, you know, then Wendy's dealing with Navarro at the jail, you know, then the FBI is making a deal with Harvey and, and it's just a ticking bomb. It's, it's, it's happening all the way through to the end of that episode, you know, and, um, you know, and that song that plays as well, you know, by the Commodores sanctified is the CD that she got from when she went to her mom's friend's house. So it, it all connects. It's very, it's super beautifully written by Mickey Johnson, who also wrote Fire Pink in uh, season three. So, so for whatever reason, I got lucky and I got the same, you know, I got the same writer. She's a, she's a very talented writer. I have another question here from Michael Iray. He asks, during dramatic dialogue scenes, such as those in Ozark, how often do you alter pace versus playing off the actor's performances? Yeah, so great question. Typically, I my gut is not to alter pace too much from what what has been um, from the performances. Specifically, you know, if Jason and Laura have got some really wonderful, just pregnant moments, I I, I definitely don't shorten them. If anything, I'll open them up. That's typically my my instinct, <laughs> and I will say that's Jason's sensibility too. too. Like it's you know it, it's you know. Pace is really important on Ozark. It's it's very meditative, right? It's 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 languid. It's it's extremely measured. It's not it's not cut for each line. You know, there's a lot of you want to see the wheels turning. You want to understand what the characters are, uh, are thinking or what they're feeling, and it's it's hanging on a shot for an extended period of time. Sometimes really hanging on it as well um, for for drama, for pacing, etc. So yeah, typically. If the pace is going to be altered, it typically doesn't get shortened. It's more, you know, the the internal pace is usually so great between, you know, a lot of the cast members. Um, it's usually opening it up and actually sometimes making it even a little bit slower. Was there a certain sense of pressure going into the final season of Ozark? I don't think so. I mean, I you know, I I, I would hope you know because of COVID, maybe there was pressures of uh, how are we going to get through this? But I don't think so. I I, I feel like. You know, Chris and the the whole writing staff, they had it because basically a, almost a year we didn't film. They had all the scripts ready and written, you know, so that I, I, I doubt there was too much pressure, you know, and I I had a little bit of pressure. I was given seven episodes to edit at the last, you know, at the 14. Um, and um, in the first seven, I was I edited five of those out of the first seven. So it was pretty it was ambitious. That's it was really <laughs> ambitious, you know. Intense, so, yeah. It was intense. Um, and, you know, uh, it was able to do it, you know, with a, with some great support um, from my assistant and even, you know, uh, Chris and Jason and the post producer, Aaron Mitchell. So um, we, we got there, you know, and, and nothing was, you know, nothing uh, was sacrificed. It was all to the level that we all um, expect of Oda. So, yes, um, I, I feel, you know, sure, the ending is polarizing in in, in the right way. You know, I, I, it was the, it was the ending that Chris wanted. And, um, 
you know, either you love it or you don't. But that's the ending that they that you know he was committed to, and that's what was delivered. And uh, you know, I think it's um, some people will say it's satisfying, some people say it's not. I, I don't know, you know. Um, uh, do 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 people want the old, do people want one of the birds to be killed? Probably. Who knows, you know? And who 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 would that be? Wendy, maybe, you know. So it's interesting. It's really. But it's, it, these are all great discussions to have, you know, and, um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think, um, I think, um, the show was, I think we, we, I think we did good. Uh, speaking of Chris Mundy, you've been working with him now for obviously four seasons, Chris Mundy being the, the showrunner of Ozark. How do you build a solid relationship with a showrunner? Just a lot of trust. You know, like when I first met Chris, we got on like a house on fire, you know, we, we, and same with same with Jason. Truthfully, we just got on so well. We have very similar sensibilities and taste. You know, I guess on a more of a day to day level, I interact more with Chris than I than I do with Jason because Jason is obviously on set, and if I'm not editing his episodes, then you know I'm editing the episodes that are directed by other directors. But my day to day or week to week is more uh, involved with Chris. And I think it's just, you know, you as an editor, when you come onto a new project, it's building trust. Truly, it's building trust. So my first two episodes, you know, those were the episodes that I had to get Jason and Chris on my side, you know, and, and for them to believe in me and trust me. And once that happens, you know, then it's like, oh, we're in good hands here. And the rest is just, you know keep the ego out of the room. You know, we do it. We have fun doing it. We have a glass of mezcal when we watch a, we watch a screening or whatever, right? It's yeah, just, I want to work with you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, it's like, I don't know, it's working. Like, I, as I as I say to my wife, it's like working with Chris and Jason. It's like, I don't know, it's like working with friends. It's like, the, it's the best of the best. It really, when you can find that, and I've had, a, I've had several of those in my career, you know, when, when you're working with friends and you're making something that you're proud of, that's kind of what like what makes our job and what makes the industry amazing. Truly, truly, because it doesn't feel like work then. You're just, you're having fun, you're being creative, you, you know, you're making a living and you come home, you know, feeling like, okay, I feel like, like from a creative standpoint, you feel like extremely satisfied. And um, I will say that's been you know, my, my experience on Ozark for sure and other projects, but my experience with Chris, like he's a, he's really a fantastic, fantastic human being. I truly think there is that moment when things start to click, when that trust happens. And I think all parties involved suddenly feel it and it takes work getting there. And, but then once it's there, it's like, Oh, we got it. Yeah. It's like, I, I feel like it, for me, it was really early on in, you know, uh, for season one, I think, so there's this needle drop that I use at the end of season three, episode three in season one, and it's by Run the Jewel, DJ Shadow, um, and Chris. I played it for Chris, and he. I remember that he ran straight to his room and looked that track up and watched the video and played that track over and over again. And it was, it was for me, it was a very deliberate choice for Ruth's character because she's into hip hop. Well. We didn't know she was into hip hop that much, but because she had this two-pack t-shirt on, I'm like, I'm going to lean into that. And, you know, subsequently, whether it was always baked in or not, but we've really leaned into that with her as a character, the hip hop stuff, you know, and the, the Run the Jewels, et cetera. And I've used a lot of Run the Jewels throughout the whole series, et cetera. But from that moment, Chris, like, he ran away and I was like, oh my God, he goes, I love it. And then Jason even texted me, he goes, wait, what was that track? 
You know, he goes, that's amazing. And he wanted the info for that track. And specifically, I think he was wanting to use that for the trailer for season one. But I think we used, I think it was Kanye West that we used for the first season trailer teaser that, you know, happened. But again, it was influenced around um, Run the Jewels, DJ Shadow and that vibe. So I think musically they were like, okay, we love that. And maybe that was part of the trust. I don't know. But, you know, and then the next episode, it was great as well, you know, and um, we had Rolling Stones, et cetera. But again, little things like that, I think help and go a long way. And uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm speculating. Maybe my trust started from that moment. Who knows, you know? Hey, Vix, uh, I, I want to be respectful of your time and I want to start winding this down. I have a, one more question here from another community member. And a good friend of mine and also my assistant editor, uh, Chris Kavanaugh, he says, if a scene is in trouble because of any relationship between shooting, performance, or writing, and you believe you have a creative solution that solves it, are you more likely to first show the proposed creative solution or the best edit possible that more closely matches what was scripted? Bit of both, really. I think, again, we pivot back to your question about trust, right? So having the trust baked in with Chris, I would probably just, I would call him. I initially would pick up the phone and just call him saying, hey, have you seen dailies on this scene? Have you seen this scene? It's problematic because of this, this, and this. I have a solution. You know, um, I think I think we're good. I've got a solution. I can either set, you know, I will put it together kind of the way it was intended, but here's my alt of it. And I've done that. So I he, he, he both Jason and, and Chris can see versions of both of it and you know from there maybe a hybrid version comes out maybe the scene gets cut or they run with the fix i i, I don't know but i feel I, I feel stemming from your initial question about trust i feel i've got that so i would i would pick up the phone you know i'll shoot jason a text saying you know i think we've got it i i, I can do this this and this and um, i think we're good so yeah yeah it's important to i guess evaluate our relationships right to say directors showrunners kind of again going back to even reading the room Right. And knowing kind of where you can take certain, uh, you know, risks, maybe, or <laughs> uh, liber- yeah, you take liberties, you know, but that, that you, I would, let's say that happened on the first episode that I ever edited the first scene, like that was, that was a problem. I, I don't, th- I would handle that differently because I don't have any trust built yet. I've not met, I've not really spent time with Chris, but once that's done, and we've we've got some trust built, then of course I'm going to have a conversation with him saying, yes, I think this is problematic because of this. Or have you, as I said, always go straight back to the dailies. Have you put, will you please put eyes on uh, today's dailies or this scene specifically? Let me know if there's anything problematic to you, you know? Um, and, I, and I don't tee it up. I just ask, I typically just ask Chris, just watch those dailies. And then he'll call me, he goes, and then we have a discussion and we talk about it. You know, and then uh, because I also want to, I want to respect the director who's directed that episode and give them their opportunity to to see the scene they the way they uh, imagined, and then we we move on from there. You know, so awesome, Vix. Well, uh, thanks for giving us some insight into the the cutting of Ozark, just your overall experience on that show. Again, congrats! Just really amazing work, uh, and and really enjoyed. Obviously, these past four seasons. Uh, what's next for you? I mean, anything you want to? Work on. I mean, you've been working on really big shows. I mean, you you've won an Emmy, you know, in unscripted. I mean, you've done, done a lot of things. Worked in documentaries. What what, what do you want to try now? Where do you want to take your direction in? Yeah, it's it's, it's really interesting. So I just uh, you know after Ozark, I went and um, 
did uh, one episode of uh, this series called Five Days, limited series called Five Days at Memorial, which is um, the five days after Hurricane Katrina, Katrina hit in 2005. And it's with John Ridley, uh, direct, wrote it, directed it with uh, Carlton Cuse. So it's for Apple. So that will come out later. So I did one episode of that. Um, but truthfully, and you know, truthfully right now, what I, what I personally, what I would love is um, um, more of a challenge. I would say that. So I am more interested in potentially having full ownership of an entire series, like a limited series where I edit all six or eight episodes of that series, or typically trying to transition more into cutting movies because that's, again, the same feeling. I just want, I just feel like I want a challenge. I want what's the next challenge. And um, I'm really just working with a specific filmmaker, whether that's Jason, you know, or Chris and or, or, or others who I've worked in my career with, you know, where I, you know, I'm like, hey, I'll, I'll, let me do all of these. Let me, if there's one director involved, we can do it all. Let me do it all, you know, and, and treat it like a giant movie or a giant project where I'm just, there's a lot of continuity there. It's all cut from the same cloth. It's all directed by the same person, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess that's my, that's my next challenge. And uh, we'll see, we'll see what, you know, uh, what, what comes of that. Very important to always keep pushing yourself uh, creatively and professionally. Uh, and I'm sure, Vix, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna kill it with whatever you do next, Vix. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, well, awesome, Vix Patel here on the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. It was such a pleasure talking with you today, and great to meet you. Thank you, ma'am. Like, likewise, likewise. And uh, I hope uh, you know one day we can certainly uh, do this in person. I'd uh, love to, love to. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It was so interesting to get a behind-the-scenes look at the editing of Ozark from one of its editors, Big Cash Vix Patel. Thanks again for sharing your experiences and advice here on the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. And thank you for listening to episode 33. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. And don't forget to share this episode with anyone that is a fan of Ozark. My name is Joaquin Elizondo, the creator of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program. Stay safe, stay positive. <laughs>